know who Mr. Haney is, Pat Buttram from Green Acres. I was reminded of a man who won the National Yodeling Contest. He was a singer, cowboy singer. And they interviewed him and they asked him how he got to be such a good yodeler. He said, I don't know, it just kind of came naturally. <laughs> okay, that's it for... Jeremy, I'm going to need that list on the conditions of the heart that you had. That was quite a list. Very comprehensive. Very good. I always enjoy your, your comments. I love the comic strip, The Peanuts, Charlie Brown and his friends, and especially the confab that would go on between Lucy and Charlie Brown. And Lucy had a little stand in which she would offer psychiatric help for five cents. And uh, for the longest time, I didn't know what that was as a young kid. I, had no, I couldn't even pronounce it. Till one day someone said, I, it's psychiatric help. As a young person, I couldn't, couldn't fathom what it meant. And as she was trying to help Charlie Brown get, his, get a handle on what it was exactly that was troubling him in his life. And she, you talk about the things that, that he had fears and phobias of. And she'd talk, well, you do have uh, arachnophobia, the fear of, fear of spiders. She says, yeah, I have that, but that's not really it. Or hydrophobia, the fear of water and the fear of heights. She'd go down all this, and she says, and each one that he agreed he had it, but it really didn't, wasn't comprehensive. She says, well, then, it, uh, then perhaps what you have is pantophobia, which is the fear of everything. And in the cartoon, as he said, that's it! You could see that Charles Schultz showed her bowling backwards as he said it. Pantophobia, the fear of everything. You know, they're in advertising, they would tell us that there's a couple of things that really sell in advertising. And one of them is sex and the other one is violence. But they are taking a backseat to what sells in our culture today. And you know what really sells? Fear. Fear sells. <laughs> if you don't believe it, look how our culture, country, and world has changed in the last two years. People that would, would no more think of not going to the store to buy things off the shelf now are afraid to go into the store. And I'm not saying it's not warranted. There are things that are called reasonable reasonable fears that we have. They're, they're logical that we would have. It's, it, it, is, it, it is reasonable and logical that if I go up to the top of this roof, that I would have a certain amount of fear. Some of you may not, but I would have a little bit of fear. Certain things that we have, and it makes perfect sense. It's logical. It makes sense. In in World War II, it, it didn't make sense that people would try to, in Europe, would try to hide the Jews from the Nazis. It didn't make sense. It wasn't logical that they would do that. Why? They're putting their life at risk, risking their own lives to save people. But they did it anyways, because there are some things that are right. They are absolutely right in spite of of what we might think is illogical. 
If we were to go line by line through the entirety of Scripture, and we would look at the things that are commands, and that's another thing that we, we have trouble with in our society is commands. Oh, boy, don't tell us what's right and wrong. But if you were to go through the, the Bible and look at one of the most oft-told commands in Scripture, you might think, well, it, love one another or don't sin and don't do this or do that. Fear not is at the top. Fear not. Remember all the times as we're coming through the book of Deuteronomy and then we get to Judges, Joshua and Judges, and what the Israelites were told. Have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Fear not those people. After all, they were fighting for themselves. It was all in their hands to do it, wasn't it? No. God said, I'm the one fighting for you. Be strong and courageous. As we come into the, the congregation of Smyrna, and less is written about Smyrna than any of the other, the other six congregations in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. Four verses is all. And this little congregation here in Smyrna, and we're not talking Smyrna, Tennessee, or any other state. This is Smyrna in western, what's now western Turkey, known as Asia at the time. Little Smyrna. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, he wrote to Ephesus. And Ephesus seems to have it really going well for them, but then it said, but you've lost your first love, and we talked about that last week. We come down to Smyrna, and Smyrna, we think, okay, uh, what, does, what does Jesus have to say about them? And right off he says, not talking about their works, he says, I know your tribulation. And so as we might use this, and, and, I, and I'm going to age myself just a little bit, but we had these contraptions called overhead projectors. How many of you remember the overhead projectors? Yeah. Well, we're all 39, apparently. <laughs> and they would have these, these clear pages. They would be called overlays. And you put them on there, and you could add one to the other and show it. And I wonder if we could put that overlay over top of our congregation. Which of these matches the Traverse City Church of Christ? We look at Smyrna. And Smyrna, he doesn't really have much against them. But what he tells them is absolutely gold and as applicable today as it was over 1,900 years ago, this being written what we believe is at the end of the first century. And remember, the Roman Empire is the one who is persecuting these people. He says, fear not. I know your tribulation. Number one on our outline is the suffering soldier of the cross. And that's us. Fear sells. Be afraid, people. Be afraid. Isn't that what they tell us? Well, in not so many words, but they build this big mountain, and they want us to be afraid. And it's logical. It really is logical. It makes sense to be afraid of these things to a certain point. 
You see, there was a lady who had an opportunity at a tremendous job. She was going to get promoted. The only thing was, she had to work on the 41st floor. And because she was afraid of heights, and afraid of what would happen at those heights if a plane flew into it, or it caught on fire, or you name it, she turned the job down. Does that make sense? Now, it makes sense to be afraid of heights if you're walking aboard 400 feet in the air. It makes sense to be a little bit afraid. But not to take a job because you were afraid of heights to work in a tall building? Fear. What a motivator in this life. What a motivator. Jesus would put, as we talk about the tribulation, he will tell his disciples in Matthew chapter 10, verses 16 through 22, and we're going to come back to the end of Matthew chapter 10 later in the sermon. But he says, behold, as he tells his disciples, I'm going to send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Be wise, because Paul would say, we know the schemes of the devil. We, we're aware of those things. If we know that fear sells, why let fear determine our lives? He says, I want you to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves in verse 16. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. And really, he's making mention even now in Matthew chapter 10 of what's going to happen in 60 years from then and to scourge you in their synagogues. You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake, as a testimony to them, to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, don't worry about how or what you are to speak, for it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. Now brother will deliver up brother to death, and father his child, and children will rise up against parents, and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake." The same thing that is said here, they'll say in the book of Revelation. But he who endures to the end will be saved. And what we believe are among the first letters that are going to be written by Paul in the New Testament. Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians written, we believe, maybe just a few months after first. Paul makes mention of what's happening to those in Thessalonica. In chapter 1 of 2 Thessalonians, beginning of verse 3, it says, We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting, because your faith grows exceedingly, and the love of every one of you all abounds toward each other. They're growing. He's making mention of this. So that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. It's already happening. It had already begun in Acts chapter 2. It had already begun that persecution. But he says, you're an encouragement to those that we make mention of because you're enduring it. Boy, and there's nothing like seeing people that are successful, who are overcoming, to be a great encouragement to us. But when we see people shrink back, it's not a very great encouragement to us. In Revelation chapter 7, as John goes on and he's being shown things, in Revelation chapter 7, beginning in verse 9, he says, After these things I looked, this is John speaking, what he's being showed in a vision, 
And behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels stood around the throne and the elders of the four living creatures and fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And that's a great scene until someone is going to ask him a question. Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, Who are these arrayed in white robes, and where did they come from? And John, not knowing, says, You know. (laughs) Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones who came out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. They came out of the, not the average tribulation, not just the usual tribulation. They came out of the great tribulation. Maybe just a handful, just maybe five or ten, right? No, he says, a great multitude which no one could number. Now, that means you can take off your shoes and count to at least 20, and you're not going to reach the end of it which no one could number. He says, I know your tribulation. And tribulation is the Greek word phlipsis. It means pressure, anguish, burden. It doesn't mean it's an inconvenience. It doesn't mean it's a a discomfort. It says it is anguish. And if you haven't experienced anguish in your life, just wait. It'll come to you. The next thing that he says is, he says, I not only know your tribulation, he says, but I know your poverty. I know how poor that you are. Prochea. It means beggary, indigence, destitution. That means you ain't got nothing. Doesn't mean that your, you know, your credit scores are down in the, I don't even know what a good and bad credit score is these days. Janine takes care of all that, and she is great at it. It's just not that you can't get good credit. It means you are a beggar. He says, I know. I know how poor you are. I know that because of what you are suffering, how absolutely poor that you are. And you know, the writers of the New Testament give us an idea of what people go through. James chapter 2 and verses 5 through 7, he says, Listen, my beloved brethren, has not God chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you are called? That's That's what the rich do. They oppress you and force you deeper and deeper into poverty. But Paul says something about this poor group of Christians that he talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 
Beginning in verse 1, he says, Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. They were poor. Poor. But they considered it an honor to give of whatever they had. And Paul was so pleased by this because they could have easily said, Yeah, we really, I, I got to save for this little rainy day. I've I, I just got to save, I just can't afford that. Maybe it was the same thing that went through that widow in the temple. One of the last stories that Jesus tells. And this widow in the temple gives, it's not even enough to make a penny in our denomination of coins that we have. Not even a penny. A quarter of a penny, maybe. And he marveled at this. And when Jesus marvels at things, I think we ought to marvel about it. He said, in a sense, these people are all giving from their wealth. But this woman, she gave that smallest portion He said, and that's all she had to live on. But she considered it, that she could give it. I'm going to hang on to it. Poverty, beggary, indigence, destitution. Paul tells about things that ought to cause us contentment in our lives. And I really have to work on this one. It says, now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world. And it is certain we can carry nothing out. As someone told me, he says, I was born with nothing and I still have most of it. (laughs) And having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. And it may have been that those in Smyrna may not have even had the food and clothing. But God said to them, I know your poverty. But he said, you are rich. That's a hard one for us to, to bring to grips in our own mind. We think, I'm, I'm poor. How you doing? I ain't got nothing. I'm poor. But God says, you are rich. You have your faith. You are being persecuted, but you are holding up under that trial. You are rich in the things that you have. He says, not only that, not only are you suffering from tribulation and poverty, but you're suffering slander. Now, as I was growing up in school, I, I had this little way of remembering. Now, which is slander and which is libel? The A in slander comes from talk, and the I in libel comes from written. That's free. I'm going to give that one to you. You can use that. So if someone slanders you, it means they're talking about you. If they're libelous against you, they're writing about you. It says they are bla- And the Greek word is blasphemia, reproach. Vilification. If you're vilified, they're making a villain out of you. That's what people are talking about then. 
Jesus said, and anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But to him who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, you will not be forgiven. See, they're not blaspheming against the Holy Spirit. They're blaspheming. They're slandering these people. And Paul even says that he was a blasphemer. He writes that to Timothy, and he writes it to others. He says, formerly I was a blasphemer, but the grace of God came upon me. The grace of God. So if people are slandering you, always remember that Paul slandered too. But God showed grace. Pray for the grace of those if they are slandering you and saying bad things. Especially if they're not against you and it's not true. If it's true, then think about what they're saying against you. But Jesus said in Matthew 10, 25, and we read up to verse 22 earlier. It says, when they persecute you in this city, flee to another. For assuredly, I say to you, you will not have gone through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher and a servant like his master. And if they called you the master of the house, called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they call those of his household? You see, Jesus had already said well ahead of time while he was walking on the earth, this is what they're going to do to you. Expect it, because it's going to happen to you. But the testing of tribulation will not last long. He tells them in verse 10, do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested. And for ten days you will have tribulation. Now, ten days. And I've told you about my hangnails. Ten days with a hangnail seems like forever. But he says, ten days. He's trying to give them the idea that this, is, this tribulation is going to be short. This isn't going to last forever. It may seem forever, but it's a short time. Be assured of it. You are going to endure this, but it's going to be short-lived. Because you are going to overcome it. Yes, the devil's about to throw some of you in the prison. But he says, be faithful unto death. Because the benefits far outweigh. The benefits and the bonuses, as I put it. In James chapter 1, verse 12, he says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life. And that crown there is talking of the Stephanos. It means it is the crown of victory. It means you have overcome. That's what he's telling him. You are going to overcome. You are going to be victorious. And in each of those seven congregations in chapter 2 and chapter 3, he gives them that what to expect. Those who overcome or those who conquer, depending on what your translation is. And that's what we do. We overcome. We conquer those things. They say one of the greatest fears is to get up in front of people and speak. And yet, many have overcome that and have gone on to be great speakers. And I hope to be among them one of these days. But, you know, we overcome those things. We conquer the fears. We don't let those things that frightened us as children follow us all the rest of our lives. We overcome them. We conquer them. Is it easy? I don't think so. Jesus isn't writing this because it's going to be easy. He's... 
He hasn't provided the book of Revelation for them in the first century and for us in the 21st century and for however long this world is going to continue to spin because things are going to be easy for believers. He's given it to us because it is going to be incredibly hard. But at the end, for those who overcome, there is the victory for us. And as we bring this to a close, we want to use those congregations in the first century and say, Smyrna, you are encouraged to finish the race. And that lesson goes for us, not just them, but for us to finish the race. Finish the race as a congregation because the pressures are coming in on us. We may turn a blind eye to it and pretend it's not there, but the pressures are here nonetheless. And we need to finish the race as a congregation, and we need to finish it as individuals. And to that extent, we extend the invitation. Maybe fear has ruled your life, and you need help to overcome it. We're not here alone. We are here, as Jesus said, fear not, little flock. Fear not, little flock, for he is with us. He has called us to stand together. Encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching, the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 10.25. Finally, John chapter 14 beginning in verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. I don't know what that's going to look like when we get up there. I'm not sure if it's going to look as nice as this building or even nicer. If it's going to have the nicest paneling that I can get at the lumberyard, whatever it looks like, I'll be happy with it. Even if it's just that little log cabin in the corner, I'll be happy with it because it's been prepared. I don't know what it looks like. All we can do is think in the mind's eye of this. He says, I am going there to prepare a place for you. And we want to be there. And I hope and pray that you want to be there as well. As we extend this invitation, we want to encourage everyone as best that we can. Fear not. Fear not. Brother Joe Terrell has gone on to his reward. This is one of the songs that he requested to have sung at his service. And I thought what a fitting tribute to remember that Joe has gone on to his reward and awaits there for us. Whatever your need is, make it known as together we stand and sing. There is coming a day